It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports on a Monday? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, the venerable John Riley, broadcasting from left field. <laughs> I am in our Dixon Line Lumber and Home Center store studios in San Diego. Coming off a great sports weekend, we welcome you to our Monday bonus podcast. John, enormous amount of topics on the table. You watch TV all weekend. I watch TV all weekend. We're both suffering from football OD, but we're ready now for Monday Night Football and the start of the general managers' meetings in baseball. We got so much to cover. A ton. And I think uh, both Saturday and Sunday was football dawn to dusk. I mean, they just <laughs> lined up all day long. So I'm trying to catch up on my sleep. Now, our podcast... Monday bonus podcast coming off the Great Sports Weekend, brought to you by Dixon Line Lumber and Home Center Stores, nine locations in San Diego. Whatever project you've got for the fall into the winter, they become your best friends, your teammates. Check out everything they have. Fix it, build it. You will enjoy it right now, thanks to DixieLine.com. John, before we dive headfirst into topics on the table, remind everybody about what happens right at the end of our podcast fans forum and how we ask people to join our team and subscribe yeah sure so if you want to get involved in fans forum just drop your comment in the live chat on facebook or on youtube i see javier has already got an otani comment in there we're going to get to you on fans forum so just yeah type it in the live chat on facebook or youtube and a reminder john explain how they subscribe and become part of our team yeah so you can I mean, this podcast is like everywhere. So we're on all the audio only platforms, you know, Apple Podcasts and, you know, Pandora. I mean, we're on all of those. And then we're on YouTube and then we're distributing clips across all the different social media cl- uh, platforms like every day. So, yeah, wherever you go, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, podcast platforms, the whole thing, TikTok, Instagram, like, follow, share and subscribe to Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. And because we have no pride, give us a thumbs up. And a couple of us need five-star rankings and ratings, too. Please do that to help us. And we got some great news and projects we're working on. So join us on Mondays. Join us on Thursdays because we're going to spring some stuff that I think you'll really like. John, let's start baseball. Baseball here, Petco Park. Yeah, so the rumors are flying with the Padre manager search, and we're losing a lot of our pitching staff. Yeah, Padres, that's a good headline there. Help wanted Padres pitching. Baseball general managers meetings start tomorrow in Scottsdale, Arizona. You can now make trades in Major League Baseball, and the free agent window has now opened to sign players. 140 veteran players are now available on the open market. The Padres situation is this. They're not making an offer to Blake Snell. They're evidently not making an offer to Josh Hader. What they will do effective tomorrow they can offer a qualifying offer of $20.3 million. Mm-hmm. Now, if a guy wanted to sign that, you'd sign him, lock him in for a year. But by making the offer, it guarantees you if that guy, Snell, Hader, leaves as a free agent, you're going to get draft pick compensation. So that's the next item of business for not just the Padres, but everybody else who might have a marquee free agent out there a la Otani and the Angels. He gets the Q offer, 
at least they get draft pick compensation if they don't get him. But it's not been a good weekend. You know, we had talked extensively, can they sales pitch Blake Snell to stay here out of loyalty? Do they do that to Josh Hader? It appears the answer is no. Now, Michael Waka, they declined the two-year $32 million option that he had in his contract. He goes back onto the open market, went 14-4 and this season, has really strung together two good years. The reason they declined it? He's got the constant shoulder woes. They don't want to pay somebody $16 million per season next two years. If they don't know, they don't think, or if they fear, he's not going to hold up. So Waka goes on the open market. Seth Lugo, who was a number four starter, he was a good one-year rental. He opted out of the $7.5 million deal. Well, they could always go back and sign him, but are you going to sign your fourth guy to a 10 or $12 million per year extension? I don't know about that. And Nick Martinez and the Padres both declined their package. The package would have taken Martinez to $16 million next season. I don't know very many people that offer a fifth starter or a long reliever $15 million. He was very serviceable for a couple of years. He goes on the open market. And now there's a second issue there because he hired you-know-who, Scott Boris, to be his agent. I don't think Nick (laughs) Martinez is coming back. Big rumors everywhere that they are shopping Juan Soto. That's got to do with, obviously, the $50 reduction in the baseball payroll that the Padres have. New rumor out of Boston that they may have made some calls, including to the Red Sox, about Xander... Bogarts. I don't understand that because he was fairly consistent, very popular, rock-solid, stable guy. Maybe maybe they want to move him as part of this roster cut, budget cut. But who's going to take on a contract that's going to drag him into age 42? Mm-hmm. So Bogarts evidently is out there on the trade block. And then we got the managerial situation, and it appears— They're not going to do any more interviews. They've lost a couple candidates, and evidently they are just circling the wagons back and going to decide this week, is it Mike Schilt? Is it Ryan Flaherty? Is it Benji Gill? They didn't do much on the outside. They did talk uh, to Carlos Mendoza, Yankee bench coach. That didn't go very far. I was led to believe there might be a phone call to Mark Kotze. That has not happened um, it's really interesting where the Padres are right now. So they they are down a total of five pitchers by virtue <laughs> of the two free agents and the three guys who are opted out. Mm-hmm. And then you got the surgical situations with Darvish and the capsule shoulder situation with Joe Musgrove. So now we're talking seven pitchers that might not be part of this. I don't know if they're going to reoffer Luis Garcia. So now that takes it to eight. Are they going to pay Adrian Morion a $900,000 arbitration offer? Now that's 10. That's 10 (laughs) pitchers that have question marks around the team. I don't know where they're going to go for arms if all these guys wind up going other places. I hate to be the bearer of bad news on Monday, but we're covering the topics on the table, and that is the topic. So I will ask Padre fans to join us on Fans Forum now and get in line How concerned are you? Is there a pitching crisis all of a sudden in San Diego? And John Riley says... And I say that this is all part of the game that they're playing, right? Now, if I'm 
Seth Lugo, if I'm Michael Waka, you know, and Nick Martinez, yeah, of course I'm going to turn down those qualify or those offers. I'm going to go and make more money, you know, or at least make equal to what I was making before. You can't blame the players. The the Tony Gwynn situations to take the hometown discount, I mean, those are rare and mostly in the past. But, you know, A.J. Preller is always scheming. He's got something cooking. You know, I don't know if it's the pitchers in Japan or Korea where he's got a couple of dark horse candidates here that he's going to find, not unlike getting Waka and, and Lugo last year. To and plug Luis in. Garcia and Martinez the year prior. Yeah. But Luis Garcia, I mean. Uh, I, Robert Suarez. Robert, well, yeah, Robert Suarez has been tremendous with a few blemishes. But I think it's time to turn the page on Luis Garcia. Thank okay. you very much, Luis. He had his moments. But – this whole thing, we knew the way that they were building this, that this roster was built to win now. And it didn't. And it didn't. So every year is a new year. Every year is a new team. Now, Preller's got something cooking. I'm sure of it. Well, he has always been active. And he brings players in from the strangest parts of the globe. So I, I tend to agree with you. There's got to be a blueprint of guys that he knows as I say, boots on the ground, mm-hmm. he'll find some guys. But boy, that's a lot of pitchers to have question marks about going to the offseason, trying to hope next season. And the only negative is if budget's going from 253 million payroll down to 250 and you're locked into all these other big money contracts, John, how much money are you going to have to go get guys? Do guys just come to San Diego because it's San Diego? I don't know. Yeah, well, you know, maybe Robbie Snelling, maybe it's going to be his opportunity. Get a couple of young kids that are going to get the major league minimum. He's going to have to have a few players like that. But, you know, you look at the Cronenworth deal. I mean, that contract is just an albatross. And it seemed unnecessary to offer him that big deal. And his numbers were declining. And then even Darvish we're not sure about because he was injured at the end of the year. So, yeah, lots of question marks. Um I don't know what's going to happen with this Soto thing. Um, I, I still think a lot of Padre fans are thinking we're, they're going to go out in a whimper. We're going to have no pitching. You know, we're going to trade away Soto. It's Armageddon. We're going to go back to the Padres from ten, you know ten years ago. But I don't think it will. I think they're going to find a way to reload. Oh, the man of blind faith out <laughs> in left field. All right, fans forum chat box is open. How concerned are you? Do the Padres suddenly have a pitching crisis from one team? To another team that I think's got a pitching issue, let's talk Dodger baseball. Dodger baseball, man. I'll tell you what, when we post Dodger video content on Instagram, kaboom. You know, Dodger fans love smack talking. So what's going on with L.A.? Nice headline. Dodger blue equals bad news. Uh, This is shocking. Clayton Kershaw, the emergency surgery shoulder capsule. Shoulder capsule is the same thing that Musgrove is trying to work through. Eight-month rehab. Won't be back till at least July. We don't know whether he'll be the pitcher he was prior. Sports wow. medicine's fabulous. They can repair shoulder capsules. But we're talking about somebody who's got 200,000 miles on that Hall of Fame left arm. <laughs> yeah. So that's a big issue. Are they not going to sign him for a while? Because now he has no leverage. Yeah, he could go home to the Texas Rangers. Probably a lower budget thing. The Dodgers can keep him. Lower budget thing at this point in time. Or do you just keep that money and use it somewhere else until you actually find out when we get to May, June, and into July whether Kershaw can throw and throw with his velocity and throw with everything that made him great? 
So do you, do you offer him now or do you let it sit with the understanding once you're done with rehab, we'll revisit you being part of the Dodgers staff? Because right now, you can't pitch. Dodgers cleared almost $30 million this weekend by declining contracts offers to home run derby pitcher Lance Lynn, feisty <laughs> reliever Joe Kelly, oft-injured relief pitcher Daniel Hudson, and former Cardinal pitcher who never recovered from shoulder surgery Alexander Reyes. That's almost $30 million. As we sit here doing our Monday bonus podcast, the Dodgers' starting rotation is Walker Bueller coming off elbow surgery. They think he's going to be ready. Dustin May will not be ready till probably June. But those are the two. And then the kids, Bobby Miller, Ryan Pepio, Emmett Sheehan, Mike Grove. So now the burning question, they don't have a lot of veteran pitchers on that staff. They got a lot of young pups, though. Do the Dodgers spend whatever money they can spend and that might be including getting rid of David Peralta, J.D. Martinez's contract, restructuring, and go get pitching first and make the bid at Otani simultaneously. Your thoughts on Dodger Blue? Well, the Dodgers are in a better situation than the Padres because they got all those that young talent. I mean, the Padres have like nothing at AAA, right? right. I mean, Snelling, I think, is at AA. Um, so they're in a good spot. But, Lee, are the... Is is Kershaw's contract, is it finished? Yes, he's free agent. So he's a free agent. So someone else could sign him. Yeah, like, you know. Well, Texas going home. That's that's the rumor, either Rangers or Dodgers, because he's from the Dallas-Fort Worth area. But any club that would talk to him would deal with the same set of circumstances. Right. Shoulder capsule surgery, eight month rehab. We don't know about June, July. Mm-hmm. Well, they they're going to need to get at least one veteran pitcher because yeah. you know they lost Urias. Kershaw's a question mark. Dustin May not till June. Bueller, you're not sure what he's going to be when he comes back. So they probably are going to be. We're going to be competing. The Padres and Dodgers are going to be competing for the same free agent arms. The only difference between what's gone on at Chavez Ravine and what's happened at Petco Park. The Dodgers' payroll, I think, as of now, with expiring contracts and all that, is like 128 million. That's it. They got a lot. They have wow. a lot of space because they had a bunch of veterans who are on one-year deals, mm-hmm. you know. And those guys have expired. Urias is off the books because of what he d- did. Mm-hmm. Kershaw's contracts expired. Now he's hurt, so you can lump some a bunch of money. So the Dodgers have got significant checking account space to go get Otani. And then do something, as you say, to get a veteran pitcher. How about Trevor Bauer? I don't think they would touch him. Bauer could be touched by somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and Urias, once he comes off the commissioner's exemplist, he'll be a free agent, but he's toxic. Do you want him? I don't think so. Not at Dodger Stadium. So there'll be pitchers out there. So we'll talk more about free agency as we get to the end of the week. Now, from the Padres and the Dodgers, we go to the other story. In a three-hour span today, three managerial jobs were filled with a snap of the fingers. Yeah, I just I saw the news earlier today, so let's break it down. This came out of nowhere. No one expected this to land at Wrigley Field. Chicago Cubs are in the pennant race till injuries kind of dinged them up the second half of the season. Remove David Ross as their manager. All types of insinuations that David Ross just struggled really badly in his relationships with his players. He's pushy. 
and it kind of blew up in his face. And, of course, he lost some pitchers uh, with injuries, notably Marcus Stroman, Kyle Hendricks, etc. They removed him, and they signed, they hired Craig Council of Milwaukee. And this guy had done such a great job in his hometown for the Brewers. His contract was coming up, didn't get an extension done, asked for a window to just go talk to other people, interviewed, obviously, with Milwaukee, went to New York, met with the Mets, went to Chicago. Nobody was aware of that. Never got on the plane to come home. Craig Council signs a record five-year, $40 million deal to manage the Cubs as the highest-paid manager in all the history of Major League Baseball. So that was a real stunner. Then the Mets turned around when they got word in the early morning hours today before the sun came up that Council was going to Wrigley Field. The Mets went across the street, hired Carlos Mendoza, New York Yankee bench coach. Guy had been with the Yankees since 2009, has done all types of administrative jobs from in the dugout as a bench coach to an on-the-field coach. Prior to that, upstairs, player personnel, assistant to the general manager. So he comes with a lot of different qualifications. Cleveland, in maybe the real surprise so far, hires a guy who's got no experience as a manager and one-year experience in Seattle as a coach, Stephen Vogt, longtime American League catcher. He goes to the Cleveland Guardians. However, he comes with a resume that says this guy He's not even 40. This guy relates to all types of players because he's a major league catcher. He ran games, was in pennant races. He's evidently tremendously bright. Mm. So Cleveland, bit of a surprise, they get Stephen Vogt. In Houston, which has the opening with Dusty Baker's retirement a week ago, Dusty met with Jim Crane. Dusty told them the guy you need to hire was in our dugout this year, Joe Espada. Hmm. They're meeting with Espada as we talk on our Monday bonus podcast. I would assume if Dusty carries clout in that front office, because they're going to bring him in for some type of baseball job now that he's retired, Espada's probably there. So there we are. you got a Brewer's job that's now open because council's gone. you got the Angels that are moving at snail's pace, just don't seem to be moving on any big names, a.k.a. Buck Showalter, and you got the Padres situation out there right now. So I'm not sure who's going to move next, but these three things filled like snap of the fingers. Couldn't believe it happened so quick and really surprised counsel to Wrigley Field. Yeah, that was a shocker. You know, I was talking with Steve, one of our, our listeners, and he was saying that he thought David Ross might have been blindsided by this whole thing. You know, did, did he even get notice that he was fired? I mean, how did this go down? Well, I'm sure they told him either last night or in the early morning hours today. But the rumors were a rift that that thing was falling apart in Chicago and he kind of lost the team emotionally. Oh, The team had a lot of setbacks. They had a lot of injuries. And that that really hurt them a great deal. Uh, they had problems with the pitching staff, and they just ran out of arms because there were arms they had that pitched so well, led by Marcus Stroman, just totally disappeared. 
And uh, Kyle Hendricks is just not the same pitcher coming off his surgery. So there's there's a lot of issues in Chicago, and I'm surprised. Now, I'm led to believe Ross is going to stay with the organization. Maybe he goes into player personnel. Maybe he goes into player development, assistant general manager. I don't think it was a bitter parting, but I think uh, that just the decision was made. We're going to make a change. We value you for what you did. We want you to stay here and continue to work in a wider variety of projects. And a guy with credentials, Craig Council, did more with less than I can ever imagine in Milwaukee. Well, then why would Milwaukee give him up if he's such a coveted manager, highest paid manager in the league, right? So why wasn't why would, does Milwaukee just want to do what the Padres did when they when they let go of Bruce Bochy, just kind of turn the page? DNP, do not pay. Ah. Small budget. Losing players to free agency on an almost annual basis. I mean, he met with them multiple times. And again, you have to understand, he's a Wisconsin guy. Yeah. And he just elected, okay, I'm going to be a free agent. I will check the marketplace. So I was a little surprised. But sometimes you need to make a change because they're going to run their franchise the way they run their franchise. And that means they're holding on to every dollar possible. So I think the Cubs got themselves a really good guy because he's got a— Really good reputation around baseball. Does this remind you of the time when Joe Madden went to the Cubs? Because that one happened quickly. And I remember there was one of the Padres coaches that was the manager there. He lasted one year and he was booted right away Yeah, as soon as Madden became available. Well, they kind of, I guess they, they move in the shadows. They move quickly, though, when they want what they want because they got money. It's Wrigleyville. It's mm-hmm. Chicago Cubs baseball. It's Tom Ricketts, and it looks like they're diving all back in now to try to fix that franchise that just kind of floundered. So, you're a baseball fan. Join us on Fans Forum. you got an opinion on the Padres, the Dodgers, and the still-open vacant managerial jobs. We go from that. John, we're <laughs> going third and long down the field. Here comes Monday Night Football. Yeah, Monday Night Football, Chargers, Jets. This will be kind of a fun game, you know, two wild and crazy guys, their quarterback in both teams. When in your wildest dreams did you ever think the lowly J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 would have a better record than the Chargers? <laughs> they do. Mm-hmm. Chargers are three and four. The Jets are four and three. The Jets, with no quarterback because Aaron Rodgers is hurt, are better than the Chargers. How is that possible? Interesting matchup. Justin Herbert, star quarterback, meet Robert Soleil, head coach Jets, who is a really dynamic X and O's guy. Herbert's got 13 touchdowns, four interceptions. He's playing with great grit. He's got this fractured middle finger on his left hand. He wears the big splint. He's obviously not 100%. And just if you watch it, his his mechanics and how he handles the ball and how he tries to protect that left hand, he's just not able to do everything. But the guy is still, I think, a really quality quarterback. Now, He's lost another wide receiver. The big play young guy, Josh Palmer, has gone on IR with a knee injury, hyperextended knee that he hurt last week. So now they not only don't have Mike Williams, now they don't have Josh Palmer. They're really thin. Uh, the number one pick, Quentin Johnston, going to start, going to be targeted. Got to catch balls, can't drop balls. Now he had five receptions last week. It was kind of a, a breakout game. Um, they're going to be wafer thin. They, their tight ends aren't right. Uh, that That's a problem. The, the starting tight end has been nicked up with a hip injury. They don't have any backup tight ends that can catch the ball. They block. So they're a little bit deficient. They're going to have to obviously get the ball into the hands of Austin Eckler a lot more in this game. 
the Jets, they got defense everywhere. Really good defensive tackle, Quinnen Williams. Unbelievably active, beating guys in the gaps and getting into the quarterback's face. You know, you think of Aaron Donald, you think of Chris Jones, Mm -hmm. probably the best inside defensive tackles getting to the quarterback. This guy is right on the periphery of that. So Quinnen Williams will be active. They got a great Baltimore Raven inside (laughs) linebacker in C.J. Mosley. And then they got the guy with the sauce, Sauce Gardner. Young cornerback, University of Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. Phenomenal year and a half. I can't wait to see the matchup. Sauce will be pointing across the line of scrimmage at the guy wearing number 13, Keenan Allen. Have at it. Have at it. (laughs) That's going to be one-on-one coverage. That's really going to be good. I don't know that the Chargers can run on the Jets' defensive front. And if they can't run and Keenan Allen can't get open because of Sauce Gardner— I don't know how Justin Herbert's going to put a lot of points on the board. Mm-hmm. That's a big issue. Now, the flip side of that, the Jets quarterback is Zach Wilson, former number one draft pick out of BYU in his third year. Looked as if he was going to sit most of the season because of the Aaron Rodgers signing. And that all changed when Rodgers ruptured his Achilles tendon. He's played better the last three games. You know the Jets have won three in a row? Wow. How's that possible? <laughs> uh, but his statistics are not overwhelming. Because maybe the defense bails him out. He's in all of the starts this season. He's only got five touchdowns. Wow. He's got eight turnovers, and he's got he's been sacked twenty three times. Now that being said, he's growing. Uh, Brees Hall, really good running back out of Iowa State. He's had three big games in a row. Huge offensive line trying to keep him healthy. Very good young wide receiver from Ohio State, Garrett Wilson. They got the veteran receivers they brought in when Aaron Rodgers came from Green Bay. They're still there. The old dog, Randall Cobb, and the guys averaging 14 yards per catch, Alan Lazard. Uh, I'm fascinated just to watch the matchups here. And Chargers, you better not get back on the plane and try to come home if you lose to the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. (laughs) Response. Response. I I predict that the Chargers are going to lose the game in the last minute. Oh, Chargering again. (laughs) Yes. Um, But, you know, they got to go cross country. they got to go play in the Meadowlands. You know, and like you said, we're missing some of the receivers for the Chargers. But I'll just tell you, when I think of Chargers-Jets, I think of that playoff game with Nate Kading where he missed the three field goals. And didn't Antonio Cromartie get really burned in one of those games, I think, too? Multiple times. Multiple times. So there's a weird history with these two teams. But the... You know, Zach Wilson just kind of surprises you every once in a while, you know? And it's funny, he has eight turnovers and only five touchdowns. But, you know, the Chargers defense is still, what, number 31, 32? You know, he'll probably have a good night. So I I, I got the Jets tonight. I'll be interested to see what Bosa, what Khalil Mack, uh, what they can do in terms of getting off the edge. Because the Jets, they've had a history of bad injuries in their offensive line. And for the first time in a while, virtually all those old linemen are there suited up to play. So that the matchups, uh, Mecky Becton, the left tackle, is as huge as the state of Rhode Island. But he plays left tackle. So he's going to go against Bosa. So that the, some of the matchups between that left tackle matchup versus the pass rusher and obviously Keenan Allen versus Sauce in the secondary that's that's, that's, that's good, a great nickname, yeah, by the way. Yeah, Sauce. Yeah. I like that. That's that <laughs> is gonna be good. Uh if you're a Charger fan, who the hell's gonna win? Bolts or the J E T S Jets, Jets, Jets. Let's go 
to what happened over the weekend in the NFL. Yeah, a lot of big games, pretty entertaining, right? Like, I mean, did you tune in on Sunday morning early enough? Frankfurt, Germany. <laughs> it wasn't what I thought it would be. I, I really thought it was going to be 47-42, but it didn't turn out that way. Uh, Kansas City, Miami. The Chiefs. They won the game with the defense. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. The Chiefs. <laughs> defense. <laughs> the defense. 59-yard fumble recovery touchdown. Three quarterback sacks. Fumble recovery on the final possession. They kept Miami out of the end zone. They led 21-0. Tua climbed him back in and had the ball going for what would have been the tying touchdown. Took back-to-back sacks, and then he took a fumble on the final two possessions. Patrick Mahomes just... Doesn't have all the bullets in the gun that he's had over the last group of years. Threw for 185, couple of touchdowns. He did fumble it again. Kansas City's got 17 turnovers this season. That is not Patrick Mahomes-like. Tua had a lot of problems with pressure. Threw for 193, three sacks, plus the fumble at the end of the game. And I hate to bring this up. I don't know if we have any deported, transported, exported Miami fans up here in Southern California. Miami's lost the three biggest games this season against the three best teams on the schedule. Ah. So they're just a bunch of guys that are playing pitch and catch on the sand, and then it becomes a street fight when they play Buffalo or Philadelphia, or in this case, Kansas City, because they're 0-3 against those guys. Wow. You know, it's, when I think of um, uh, the Dolphins and like wondering who's a fan here in San Diego, I think of Craig Elston. Yeah. You know, he's a big Dolphins guy. But I watched part of that game and it was fun. I mean, it was neat seeing it in Germany, you know. And I remember the punter one time hit the, the scoreboard up yep. on top and they had to do a redo. But I think it's cool the way the NFL is expanding into these, um, you know, into Europe. And I noticed it was like a, quote, home game for the Chiefs because it was all decked out in red and gold. But, you know, th- that was a marquee game. I mean, they got fortunate to get Chiefs and and uh, the Dolphins, I mean, in, in Germany. And fans, the stadium was unbelievably packed. It was electric. It was noisy. And every one of those German soccer fans has become an NFL fan was either wearing Miami turquoise and orange or Chief Red. I mean, it, the NFL has done a great job there. Okay, let's go to the next game. Ravens-Seattle. Boom. That was the anvil dropping on the Seahawk offense. <laughs> Big time. Uh, did your co-host tell you last week that this might be a tough day for Seattle? Yeah. Yeah, it was. They got on the plane 37-3 thrashing. Ravens, four sacks, two takeaways. Ravens, 515 yards in offense. Seattle, 151. Yeah. Boom. Anvil fell on them. Lamar Jackson, 247 all-purpose yards. The young running back, Keaton Mitchell, ran for 138. Gus the Bus, Gus Edwards, who's finally healthy. Big power back, scored a couple of touchdowns. Geno Smith just does not look like the same quarterback that kind of stunned everybody last year when he was throwing the ball down the field and running and making plays. He had only 157 passes, 157 yards passing. And they they turned the ball over, so boy, Pete Carroll's team just got whacked right out of the tunnel, just never ever recovered. Yeah, it was it was totally a woodshed kind of thing where he got taken out to the back. But now I think we're seeing the old Geno Smith, right? I mean, the guy that we knew wasn't all that much. So maybe last year was just an aberration. 
Eagles-Cowboys 28-23 holding on for a victory for dear life. Eagle defense had a stop at the one-yard line, had another stop at the end of the game at the four. Philly had five sacks. They had a fumble recovery. Jalen Hurts got banged up. They're a little concerned about a bruised knee, but he hung in there. Three for 207, couple of touchdowns. Dak Prescott, just he looks like the young Dak Prescott we saw five years ago. He threw for 374 and three touchdowns against the Eagle defense. And C.D. Lamb, fourth double-digit game in a row of receptions. He had 11 for 191 yards. So the Cowboys are really good. Philadelphia hung on because Dallas just kept coming back, coming back at them. So those are obviously elite teams in the NFC. Did you see the very end, the last play of the game? It kind of reminded me of that Super Bowl, the Rams and the Titans. Yeah, you know, throwing the ball across the middle and the ball stopped at the two-foot line. Yeah, exactly. It was kind of like that. So, But, you know, the Cowboys are so Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, some days they look great. Other days, not so good. The Eagles are clearly superior. Dallas, those last three games, Dak Prescott is playing at a much different level, playing with a lot more confidence. And maybe it's got something to do with him being totally healthy. Uh, we move on. Bengals, Bulls. Joe Cool outguns Josh the Gun. Joe Burrow throws for 343 and three touchdowns in a Cincinnati win at home against Buffalo. Josh Allen kept the Bills in there, but in typical Josh Allen DNA, another costly turnover. But boy, the Bengals look so scary right now, John. Big throws, Burrow in the pocket, moving the pocket, throwing on the run, running the football at the same time. And the Bills are taking some hits on defense. They are battered with injuries on defense. It started three weeks ago with Mike Milano, the linebacker, breaking his leg. It went to the secondary. They're losing guys at an alarming rate on the defensive side of the football. But uh, Cincinnati is dragging themselves back into this AFC North race, and we still got half a season to play. And Joe Cool looks like Joe Cool was when... We got a postcard from him at the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, it was a totally different guy. I mean, the you know, it's funny because we joked about Josh Allen before. He's still got a little Wyoming in him, right? Yeah. You know, so every once in a while, you'll see kind of like that, you know. Why'd you do that? Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, but it's cool seeing Joe Cool back to what he's supposed to be because it was a mystery how horrible the Bengals were when he had that calf problem. But boy, do they look good now. And I, I think, you know, the sky's the limit. And they were even saying on the broadcast about how Joe Burrow goes to bed at seven o'clock because he's all football during the season. I'm like, yeah, good for you, man. Uh, new faces, new places. Practice. We don't need no practice. <laughs> Let's talk about the Minnesota Vikings. Josh Dobbs was picked up at the trade deadline on Tuesday. 48 hours after the Vikings lost their star quarterback, Kirk Cousins, for the year with the Achilles. Josh Dobbs did not take a snap with the number one unit. He only took part in two days of quarterback meetings. You know, the hardest part about changing teams at midseason, especially, quarterback walks into the room, new playbook. Yeah, X's and O's kind of look the same. The language, the liturgy is so different from one team to the next, the calls. Josh Dobbs, two meetings, no snaps with the number one unit, comes off the bench and drives the Vikings to victory. Game-winning touchdown with 22 seconds to go. 
Uh, he had 158 passing. He had 66 rushing. He's done this before in his career coming off the bench, and his style is so drastically different. You don't prepare for a guy that runs all over this a la Fran Tarkenton. Mm-hmm. So Josh Dobbs did a really good job. But he also had three fumbles. He had three snaps uh, that he could not handle. Vikings have won four in a row, and they've done this now with no Kirk Cousins and no superstar receiver Justin Jefferson. So Kevin O'Connell is just coaching out his ears to try to keep this team competitive. Now, the more video you get on Josh Dobbs, they'll slow him down. Yeah, they will. But uh, that, that was a hell of a performance. And the other performance of the day, how about the kid quarterback, C.J. Stroud in Houston? We talked about those top number one pick quarterbacks and how hard it was going to be. He's got Houston playing. Well, Houston's got four victories. How does the Houston Texans have more wins than the Chargers? <laughs> C.J. Stroud yesterday, 470 yards passing, five touchdowns. He got a tight end from the Dallas Cowboys in free agency, 10 receptions yesterday, two no-name wide receivers and I know everything about everything, and I don't know anything about these guys. They combined to catch 15 passes in that game yesterday. C.J. Stroud, that's an NFL record, 470 and five touchdowns. John, talk about Dobbs. Talk about the Houston rookie. Yeah, Dobbs. I mean, it just you were kind of like channeling Allen Iverson there, right? Yeah. You know, practice, we talk about practice, not the game. How am I supposed to be the franchise player if we're talking about <laughs> practice? Um it was cool looking at the post-game celebration in the locker room yeah. with uh, with Kevin O'Connell and the team fired up for their guy, Josh Dobbs. I mean, that was really special, you know, because they must have been so demoralized, you know, when when, oh, when they lost their cousins. So good on him. Um, but yeah, C.J. Stroud. I mean, we, we were questioning. I mean, there was a lot of chirping about, hey. Athletically, this guy's great, but does he have the the football IQ, you know, to really? And I don't think there's any doubt now. That guy is really performed, and even Baker Mayfield was praising him after the game of what a great performance C.J. Stroud had. Spectacular sidebar story on uh, what happened in the Minnesota locker room. So the players go in the locker room at the end of the game, and a couple minutes later, the coaches walk in, and they always make some type of end of game comment. Mm-hmm. So Kevin O'Connell walks in. He's got his play card, the big laminated doggone thing. It's big as the state of New Jersey. <laughs> and he holds his play card up. So the players are all sitting there or kneeling down. And it's silent. And Kevin O'Connell says, do you think we should allow him to stay? And the door opens <laughs> and here comes Dobbs coming in because he had done a TV interview. And the locker room went crazy. Awesome. So congratulations to KOC willing his team to a win. And that was a nice first game by by Dobbs. One final topic on the table before we get to halftime. John? <laughs> the Raiders. You know, we did that that video um, talking about the Raiders and Raider Nation. And boy, the feedback from the fans was nuts. Just nuts on Instagram. Well, the Raiders won a game, and so Raider Nation is happy that they finally won a game. It was like the varsity beating the freshman team. Raiders beat up the New York Giants. That quarterback in New York is done. Daniel Jones tore his knee ligament yesterday after coming back from a concussion, after coming back before that with a neck injury. Done. So you got the win. Players were really excited. You beat the freshman team. Varsity's always beat the freshmen. We'll see what happens next week.
But I'll tell you, the national criticism being directed at Mark Davis, it's, it's, I haven't seen anything like this in a long time. So he fires his general manager, his coach's offensive coordinator. Now we find out he fired the COO on the business side of the operation of the Raiders after just three months. Whoa. Last year, five top executives left amidst allegations of financial discrepancies how they handled revenue that they were getting from the new stadium. Five vice presidents left. Aiden O'Connell threw for 209 yesterday, didn't turn the ball over, as different as he did in his first NFL start against the Chargers. They kept dishing the ball to Josh Jacobs. He ran for 98, best outing of the season, couple of touchdowns. But everybody is mocking Mark Davis. He now owes $85 million to all the people that he has fired and the salary upgrades he had to give Antonio Pierce and his new defensive coordinator and his offensive coordinator. They're evidently going to clean house. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to play the back half of the schedule. They're going to take a $25 million cap hit there. Uh, you know, Mark Davis... The allegations had been written over the weekend. Las Vegas Review Journal did a bit in in depth thing, and they obviously got players to talk that Mark Davis interfered with the NFL draft, and he kept insisting draft this guy, draft that guy. hadn't worked out. He had a player revolt on his hands. The allegations are that Josh McDaniel micromanaged every assistant coach on the staff. It was stop practice to go talk to the defensive line coach about this pass rush scheme. <laughs> Just it was constant, and the players were so turned off. And one of the, quote, anonymous players told the Las Vegas Review Journal, he ain't Belichick. So going out the door, you got a team with just unbelievable turmoil. You got salary cap issues. I don't think they're a rich financial franchise. And you got the owner thinking he's like his father. I'm sorry, Mark Davis is not Al Davis. And I know when we do fans forum, there are going to be people who will be with us here in the <laughs> chat room with something to say towards me. Before we go in that direction, the scoreboard does not lie, Raider Nation. John, write this number down. <laughs> Since 2003, the Raiders' record under Al Davis and Mark Davis... 119 wins, 211 losses. They're almost 100 games below 500. In 21 years, Raider Nation, your team has had two winning seasons. They have now gone through, under Al Davis and Mark Davis, 13 head coaches or interim coaches in a 20-year span. And now they're searching for their eighth head coach since Mark Davis took over the team. The scoreboard does not lie. 119 211. That's your one loss record in 21 years. Your turn. That's not winning, baby. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, man. So, you know, the Raider Nation, though, was actually very happy that that Mark Davis blew all these guys out because it clearly wasn't working. But they were happy when they hired those guys. Well, yeah. I mean, it's just and they were happy when they signed Jimmy G and now he's gone. Well, it's kind of like when you buy a boat. You know, and the- they were happy with John <laughs> Gruden and how'd that work out? Yeah, the happiest day is when you buy the boat and the second happiest day is when you get rid of it. So it's the same kind of thing. Um, but who are the hot candidates? I mean, are there guys that you think should be the next coach of the Raiders? 
Well, if Jim Harbaugh self-destructs at Michigan, I would assume his reputation probably gets him an interview there. And, of course, he had success in San Francisco and at Michigan and at Stanford and at the University of San Diego. And if you still subscribe to my theory that Mark Davis is always impressed with the shiny object up there in the corner, <laughs> yes, he will probably make a run at Harbaugh. But they can't do anything right now in season. They still got themselves another eight games to play over the course of the season. But that guy, that guy is getting mocked nationally. <laughs> I just I just reiterate what I said last week about Raider Nation. And, you know, people are upset that I said Raider fan who's drunk all the time. Let's be honest here. Raider fan dresses differently, really acts differently. It's probably drunk a lot, too. Yeah, with that record, sure. So Raider Nation... <laughs> You're not you're not going to join us on Fans Forum and tell us you're satisfied with a record of one nineteen and two eleven. And don't sales pitch me all this bull crap about family and team. And would you hold anybody ever accountable? Anybody owns, runs, works for the silver and black, or as I say, silver and bleak? <laughs> oh, bad Raiders situation out of control. But they played well. They won. They beat the the uh, freshman team in the New York Giants out on the field. We'll see what happens next week yeah we're gonna see what happens but it's just hilarious i mean that whole franchise is like a circus but if they could just figure it out i mean they they have a huge fan base i mean if they could start winning again i mean they they would just blow up with more revenue opportunities it's a national brand oh big time a lot of drunks around the country aren't there john yes thank you very much (laughs) hey we get to halftime our monday bonus podcast is brought to you by dixon line lumber and home center stores nine locations to serve you in san diego and let remind you let me remind you now the time is to make a move if you're thinking of fixing up doing projects around the home your friends your relatives coming for the holidays you want to do something different get your projects underway right now these are your best friends dixie line lumber and home center stores they offer doors and windows and decking kitchen and bath cabinets and countertops even holiday lighting displays and check out the great monthly ads at dixieline.com and find out about the dixie line gift card for the holidays values up to six hundred dollars with the purchase of selected doors and window products fix it build it you will enjoy it these people are in first place in their industry, Dixie Line. We start the second half of our Monday bonus podcast. Just a quick program reminder. We want you to subscribe to everything we're doing so you will get the alerts every time we put something up on our YouTube channel. If you like sports like we do, check my website. That's the address written across the top of the screen. I write a ton of stuff every day. Go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com, and we want you to share with all your friends what we're doing with our podcast Monday and Thursday, what we're doing with the website, too. Give us a thumbs up. Give us five stars. John, we've got a bunch of other topics on the table, unless we want to be here till Wednesday. Let's try to blow through some of this. Let's start with college football. Okay, let's talk about Michigan. Michigan versus the Big Ten. This is off the field. The Big Ten offense is really alarmed with this whole spy sign signal stealing scandal at Michigan. 
Big Ten Conference held a conference call with the head coaches in the Big Ten. Across the board, every one of those coaches told the Big Ten's new commissioner, Tom Petitti, we want you to take disciplinary action against these guys right now. He followed it up with a Friday conference call with all the athletic directors, the exact same sentiment. I'm led to believe there is a Tuesday conference call with the presidents of each of the Big Ten. Everybody is of the opinion you have to move on these guys. Michigan's response on Sunday night, begging the Big Ten to wait until the NCAA review is completed. That could take till next spring, probably. You know, this is a Big Ten issue about integrity of games. This wasn't an isolated incident. (laughs) This illegal scouting, the sign stealing, went on for three full seasons. Wow. There's all types of evidence now that this one scout, who's a staffer at Michigan, viewed 35 different Big Ten games over a three-year window. He got tickets on the road looking at opponents Michigan was going to play. It's a huge issue. Now, the Big Ten's got they've got a problem here. Yes, it's integrity. You're going to destroy a potential record-setting Michigan football season? Are you going to damage your conference when it's obvious that Michigan-Ohio State will probably be in the final group in the college playoffs, which is a big payday for each of those schools and all the conference members? Are you going to forfeit wins? Based on what happened over this three-year window, the NCAA has a history of doing that. Are you going to suspend Jim Harbaugh? I mean, this could wreck the college football playoffs. This could really put a bad stain on what's been a fascinating college football season. So you're the judge and jury, and you tell us. Well, if you ain't cheating, you ain't, or if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, right? Uh, That's the line. I don't think this is that big of a deal, in my opinion, because, you know, I just even in like little league, we used to as coaches, we'd go watch the other team play and understand their tendencies. And, you know, stealing signs, at least in baseball, is sort of part of the sport. So I don't know. This to me doesn't seem like that serious of an infraction. I mean, there's a whole lot of other things that are far, far worse that happen in college football, like the scandal at USD. But this to me is not much to worry about. I've never met a guy with no scruples who dresses as well as you do. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Uh, if I know that it's going to be a run play versus a pass play, if I know in advance because I have inside knowledge about the signals that were flashed to the quarterback, my defense is prepared for the run play versus a pass play. It, there's an integrity issue there. I'm sorry you don't have any scruples, but I'll, I'll be intrigued to see how hard they come down on them, when they come down on them. And obviously this is going to damage, it's it's really going to damage uh, the beauty of what has been just a great college football season. And Harbaugh will be leaving Ann Arbor, maybe sooner than later. Wow. Maybe he winds up in the yeah, NFL. Michigan was your pick to win the whole thing. Yes. So that's where we are with that. We'll see what happens in the next 48 hours after they have the next meeting with the college presidents of the Big Ten Conference. USC Washington fallout from the 52-42 Husky win. That was a great game. Washington, 572 yards in offense. Dylan Johnson running back, 246 and four touchdowns. Michael Penix threw for 256. Caleb Williams had to do it by himself. 312 yards passing. 
at the end of the game, an unbelievable picture as Caleb Williams is walking to the tunnel and a fan's booed USC coming off the field. Kid ran <laughs> ran to the stands right at the corner of the tunnel, leaped up to be with his parents, started to weep. Mm. You could see him weep. It was a really sad, sad picture. They waited 12 hours. They fired the defensive coordinator, Alex Grinch. Finally. Trojans, 107th in the country in pass defense, 120th in run defense. Alex Grinch's defense at the end of last season gave up 47 points to Utah in the Pac-12 championship game, gave up 46 to Tulane. Tulane. Tulane in the bowl game. (laughs) This year, they're giving up 440 yards per game on defense, 34 points per game. He's gone. Damage done. 7-3 season over. Probably a candidate for USC to come to the Holiday Bowl or the Sun Bowl what a major disappointment. Maybe the biggest underachiever in all of college football. So we got that to talk about. Yeah. Maybe they're going to go to the Weed Whacker Bowl. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, uh, my, uh, you know, Michael Penix, that guy is, is terrific. So as bad as the SC defense was, you got to praise uh, Washington's offense. Well, that running back just, he went crazy. Mm-hmm. So big win Washington. They have now beaten, think about this, they beat up Oregon. They beat up USC. That's a pretty good football team. No doubt. Here in town, you're losing more than just a game. You're losing fans. Aztecs lose in double overtime to Utah State. Jalen Maiden had his career best day throwing 265. Didn't run the ball much, but he does what he normally does every Saturday. He turned it over twice. The secondary, more chunk plays. They did something different with the running back Keenan Christen. They lined him up as a wide receiver. He had 111 all-purpose shorts. Young running back, Lucky Sutton, 85 yards rushing, including a 62-yard burst. We haven't seen that since the days of Rashad Penny here. The thing that fascinates me, I see what they're doing X's and O's with formations and what Ryan Lindley is trying to call. And I say, wow, that worked. I see that flash where they get the mismatches and they make big plays. And then I see the plays that don't work. And the plays that don't work are overmatching the good plays that they do make. They've lost the town. They've lost the students. I didn't know what time the homecoming dance started in the gym. It must have been (laughs) early in the game because there was nobody at the stadium. Mm -hmm. On homecoming weekend, John... They drew 14,344 fans, second lowest of all time at the shiny new Snapdragon Stadium. I mean, the world is caving in of criticism on Brady Hoke. I don't think they're going to remove him. They owe him way too much money if they did that. What they really need, and we'll talk about this in a future podcast, an end-of-season evaluation, what they really need somehow, some way is to get a couple of big cigar boosters or corporate people here to help them financially, which will then help them from a player personnel aspect in recruiting and transfers. They have become Wyoming and Colorado State. They can't compete for big-time players. Hmm. Finances, the NIL, I think, has got something to do with this at San Diego State. You know, the... I, I thought about this early morning hours today as we were laying out the rundown of what we were going to talk about. John Moore's, the Padre owner in that era, 
invested a ton of money at San Diego State to help them with facilities, baseball stadium, etc. Ron Fowler, what he has done, former Padre owner at USD, is Mm -hmm. phenomenal. Aztec football needs to have corporate backing to make this thing go. Because right now, they, they are like Wyoming and Colorado State and Nevada. They just don't have the resources to compete to go get players. Thoughts on the SDSU? Yeah, what a disgrace. I mean, what did you think about those fake uh, field goal and punts? I don't I don't understand running a 160-pound kicker into line of scrimmage on fourth down calls. Mm-hmm. First one I thought was a blown play, and I said, no, that was a design play. But, boy, that was stupid. And then they, they run a fake punt with a 160-pound kicker deep in their own territory with four minutes to go because they're trying to get a first down. Snap it to an up back. Put somebody with speed faking his way as a blocking <laughs> up back, catch yeah. the ball, and then go. So, I mean, they saw things in the formation. They said, they're running this formation to come after a punter. We're going to run the fake punt or the fake field goal. Mm-hmm. But not with the kicker. Kicker? <laughs> really? Go ahead. Yeah. So, you know, the whole problem with San Diego is I remember people saying it's a branch uh, town. You know, there's no, very few companies are headquartered here. All the corporations yep. have branch offices. So a lot of that big corporate money, I mean, we've got Qualcomm, maybe a couple of others. That's it. So, yeah, hopefully, maybe how about Joseph Sai? You know, he uh, he's rolling in the dough. He's here locally. That's uh, not a bad call. Okay, we go from football. Let's stay on campus. What's happening tonight? What's happening this week? What's happening in the next four months? Yeah, basketball is back, man. I mean, what a great run last year, and it starts all over again tonight. Uh, new team, new year, San Diego State. Next wave of stars will be on the court because they have to be on the court. Uh, Jaden Ledee, I think, is the best big man in the conference. <coughs> I think he's an NBA body. He will be the lead scorer. Lamont Butler, coming off the great NCAA tournament, is back. They have to replace Nathan Mensah, A.G. Arope, Keishad Johnson, Adam Seco, Matt Bradley. That's a lot of veteran experience that was part of that NCAA Final Four championship game team. Keep an eye on Elijah Sanders and Miles Byrd, Demarche Johnson. Those are the young pups in their second year, their time to come. Interested to see how Reese Waters, the transfer guard, who was a pretty good player at USC, what role he plays coming off the bench. Can he give them firepower? I don't know any of the, if any of the 6'9 bigs who transferred in are going to be ready to play at this level. Um, it's going to be a fascinating season, but you got a good coach. There's good tradition at San Diego State basketball. But, boy, they're going to be relying on an awful lot of young pups to step in to replace the five marquee guys who had been here forever. Yeah, but they're, they're still going to be good. I mean, they are still going to probably win the conference if everything goes according to plan. I'm excited to see Jaden Ledee playing the four, you know, and hitting some of those jumpers and some occasional three-pointers. But he can only play the four if someone's playing the five. And it's maybe Miles Heidi they were talking about. He had a good—one of the preseason games was good. But um, Demarche Johnson is a guy that needs to prove it. I can still sense a little skepticism when Dutcher talks about him. So hopefully he can like resurrect his career and, and maybe have a good night tonight. Young pups. I mean, they started in high school and they were great physical specimens. They overwhelmed people. You're playing big boys now. Big time. Yeah. So if they play Cal State Fullerton tonight, very rugged schedule between now and Christmas in, in the non-conference. We go from basketball, who wants to talk puck? Puck. No one talks puck better than you, Hacksaw. Uh, L.A. Kings, Anaheim Ducks. 
I knew the Kings would be good. I'm really surprised the Ducks are playing this well. Kings are 7-2-2 two, and two on the season. You run down their roster. They got goal scorers everywhere, from the greatness of Ansi Kopitar to Adrian Kampe, who scored 43 goals last season, to Kevin Fiala, who came from Minnesota, to the ex-Montrealer, Philippe Dano, to Pierre-Luc Dubois, who they traded for. They got all types of firepower. Only concern, do they have the right combo in goal? Cam Talbert is kind of a journeyman. And Phoenix Copley was a career minor leaguer. Those are the guys between the pipes. But out of the gate, 7-2-2. Two, and two. I could have never projected the Ducks would do this. Six wins in a row coming from behind, including four straight wins on a road trip back east. And they're doing it with their kids. Second-year guy Mason McTavish is potting goals. The number one pick, Leo Carlson from Sweden, is 18. We thought he was going to be here in the AHL. He's got three goals already in two weeks. The veteran, Frank Vitrano. Troy Terry has been a blazing start for them. I'm still waiting to see if Jacob Silverberg or Adam Henrique are going to earn their money. They're getting paid a lot of money. But, boy, this Ducks team has come flying out of the gate. And... They've got the young Russian, Pavel Mintyukov, who's got like eight points already this season in nine games, and he's an offensive guy on the blue line. So this has been a really nice start. Now, whether they can continue to score at this pace, because, yeah, again, like anything else, coaches get video. They'll find a way to slow down that, that attack when they're rushing out of the zone or they're trying to get it into the zone. But so far, so good. Six wins in a row. Nobody. Nobody, management wouldn't say it, nobody I know has thought that these guys, as young as they were going to be, would win six in a row. Yeah, we we were expecting them to be a below 500 team. And wow, I mean, what a start. They must be the surprise of the whole NHL. But what, are there any other teams that you think have gotten off to a really good start? It's re- I, I think that the biggest surprise is who's not gotten off to a good start. I don't know what's going on in Edmonton. They came out of the gate, they're like 1-4-1. and one. And then Connor McDavid got hurt. Oilers have got bad dudes in goal. They didn't. They couldn't stop the puck in the playoffs, and they brought the same guys back. That's a big issue. They are. They are always screaming in Toronto. Highest payroll. All these mega stars, and the Leafs just don't win in dominant fashion. So I'll be. I'm going to be intrigued to see. There's an awful lot of heat being placed on Sheldon Keefe. The coach, you know, are are you guys ever going to win a Stanley Cup? I mean, it's only been since 1967. The richest franchise in the league is that's not one of just a few years ago. Mm -hmm. So I I think those are the two big storylines. It's so early in the campaign and injuries play into the equation as to who does what. Tampa is really good, uh, but it's, it's just way too early. But I know the franchises out of the gate that have not played very well, which is a bit of a surprise. And then. Maybe the biggest surprise to me is Vancouver. I don't understand how the Canucks have. I think they're eight two and one, and they don't score goals. They don't have snipers, mm-hmm. but they 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 have a new coach in Rick Tockett, who his his sales pitch is like, uh, "I am the law. You are going to play this way, and we're going to play the body, and you're going to finish the checks, and you're going to create havoc in front of that net." And he finished up upbeat last year, and they're eight two and one out of the gate. And they got one one star, Elias Pettersson. That's it. So I don't know if they can keep up that pace. That's a storyline on hockey. All right, 
Final topic on the table before we get to you know what, fans form. USA Soccer? Man, we're talking about Chicharito. I mean, is, is he coming on board now? Let's talk about the storylines in soccer. One good story, one bad story. Uh, we'll start with, obviously, Team USA. They've hired a new coach for the women, and she brings credentials. Her name is Emma Hayes, strong tactician. Has spent 12 years at Chelsea in the Women's English Premier League. She inherits a young team of forwards. She inherits a strong midfield. She inherits strength in goal. She brings a playbook that has been nothing but success in Chelsea. Six league titles, five FA Cups, FIFA Coach of the Decade. She's transformed the entire English Premier Women's League with her style and with her hiring. She has hired a whole number of young coaches, coached them up, opened the gate, and let them leave Chelsea to go be head coaches at other teams in the EPL. Nice. She got great, great credentials. I think she's going to be introduced at a press conference at the end of the week. Emma Hayes from Chelsea. Meanwhile, and this this might upset some people, Mexican soccer fans, Javier Hernandez, Chicharito, is gone. He has exited the LA Galaxy, although I tend to think they might have opened the door and told him we're not giving you a contract extension. Spent four years here, scored 38 goals, had a lot of injuries, some controversy off the pitch. He was exiled from the Mexican World Cup team. He's just had a lot of negative things that have been tied to his shirt tail like a tin can, kind of followed him along. I look at him and I say, underachiever. I look at him and say, disappointing superstar who flamed out. He's been in so many different places, and he keeps moving. And whatever flashpoints he has where he does well is followed up by disappearance. So Chicharito is out of the MLS. I don't think anybody's going to sign him. And he got taken off the Mexican World Cup program. I'm kind of disappointed for his career because I thought he was going to be a superstar a la Hugo Sanchez and some of the other great Mexicans of, of decades gone by. Your thoughts? Is, he, is That sounds kind of like James Harden, right? Yeah. <laughs> kind of bouncing around and not really living fully up to expectation. Except Harden still got a job and Chicharito does not. And he had a major injury right at the end of the season. I don't know from a health standpoint how much he's going to play. But that's the latest on soccer. Okay, it's time for Fans Forum. A reminder, our Monday bonus podcast is brought to you by the people at Dixon Line Lumber and Home Center Stores, nine locations to serve you in San Diego. You got projects you want to think about, projects you want to execute? These are your best friends at Dixon Line Lumber. Oh, my goodness. You think there's a few thousand people here have opinions about what we yeah. talked about? We're, we're John, try, they're your best friends. They're my best friends. We're going to try to get them involved here. Here's Javier. He says, Shohei Otani to the Dodgers is going to be the biggest signing in baseball history. Mega mega contract. There's no doubt about it. You know, I, I how do you negotiate a contract to an icon like this? Um, do you give him $40 million a year to start as your designated hitter? And then do you give him an opt-out clause after two years or maybe a clause in which you renegotiate based on if he becomes the star pitcher again. I think that's the big question is structure of the contract. Everybody that I've canvassed of the opinion that Otani winds up at Dodger Stadium, that the Angels never made the offer or got it rejected, 
I don't know that San Francisco's got this historical track record to lure him there. Seattle does because they have a good farm system. They did have the great run with Ichiro Suzuki. And then there's the guys on the East Coast where money is no object. That's the Yankees and Mets. But does he want to go there? Because he's lived as a superstar in a quiet situation in Anaheim. He would be in a fishbowl squared with the Yankees, the Red Sox, or even uh, the New York Mets. What do you think? Well, you know, a number of Japanese players have had success with the Yankees. I'm thinking of uh, Ichiro. And then um, what was the other guy? It was Godzilla. Remember, he was like a big DH and hit a lot of home runs. Mm -hmm. But, I, I, you know— Preller is cooking up something. You know, if he trades Bogarts and Soto, he might be clearing space to get Otani. What do you think? I think you're reaching. You will separate your shoulder reaching that far on that one. Especially, I mean, if if indeed the payroll has to come way down. 50 mil is big. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a reach to think that, that Ichiro, I'm not Ichiro, that uh, Showtime is coming here. I think Dodger Stadium is a great destination yeah, point for Yeah, that's him. the odds-on favorite, no great, doubt. Great Japanese store. Next question. Okay, let's move on here to John, and he says, Hey, has Mike Schilt had any interviews besides the Padres? Preller better lock him up before someone else gives him a job. No, and I don't know if it's got to be reputation precedes him, that the relationship in St. Louis was so bad at the end, and now he's openly admitted that he's not a young guy. Uh, you know, baseball's hiring a lot of young managers, so may, it may well be just past track record because it ended so ugly in St. Louis and he fought with the the analytical people all the time uh, and the fact that he's he's not 41 years old. Uh, it looks to me that he's probably the guy. I hope he's the guy because he's got a resume and I'd rather hire a resume rather than another A.J. Preller rookie or friend. You, you know, I saw a video clip of Schilt and normally you— only see photographs of him. And he just looks like a very mild-mannered dude. But he was doing one of those post-game clubhouse things when he was the manager of the Cardinals. And that dude was dropping F-bombs, and we're going to come and kick their ass, and yada, yada. (laughs) I'm like, wow, maybe this guy might be the ticket. Well, if they give him the freedom to run the clubhouse the way a major league clubhouse should be run, where the manager controls the clubhouse and controls the dugout. Okay, moving on. Uh, Let's go to Ryan here. And Ryan says, I'm skeptical of James Harden on the Clippers, especially when he says, I'm not a system player. I am a system. (laughs) Would you much rather see the Clippers trade with the 76ers to get Tobias Harris back? I would have missed him on the Clippers and could help the team more than Harden. Well, Harden, I think, first of all, he's making his debut against the New York Knicks. Clippers starting this East Coast road trip. Mm. Uh, They're going to, cap his minutes early on because he's missed an awful lot of camp. Um, I think that the big question to me is when he's on the floor, he needs the ball. And when he has the ball, then what happens to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George? Chris Harden has to control the ball so he can take his shots. Um, Is he going to stay out of hot water? Because he's been such a troublemaker at the last three spots in his NBA career that he talked himself off the roster, got his ass traded. <laughs> now, I also said something. Nobody else has signed on to what I've said, and that's that's okay. You can be wrong. I think they got him as an insurance policy for point production. If something were to happen with the injury-prone Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, you got Harden's historical 24-point-per-game average. I think that's a wild card in this acquisition. 
but I think he knows his reputation has really taken a hit because of the way he's acted. He knows he's on the final year of his contract. He becomes a street-free agent next year. So he needs to have a good season, and he needs to be part of everything they're doing. But I do think the intangible, I think he was an insurance policy to guard against something bad happening to Kawhi or PG. Well, can you imagine if they did a Hard Knocks episode like or series on the Clippers? This would be the year for it. I mean, it's like a reality TV show. Well, it's been a reality show wherever James Harden or his buddy Kyrie Irving have gone <laughs> of late. We move on in fans form. Okay, moving on. And let's go here to John. And he says, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, is it time for Pro? to be fired? Well, this conversation's gone on and on, but ownership, or Peter Seidler at this point, still sees him, and the word he used was excellence. I don't see it right now, but because of this contract that runs through 2027, they're not going to fire him at this point. Now, if next year turns out to be a boondoggle and another bad season, substandard underachieving season, maybe something changes. But Maybe something changes in ownership, too. Mm. Maybe Peter Seidler won't be the day-to-day owner of this franchise going forward. I hate to say that, but that's the reality, I think, when you're talking about uh, a man who has done great things, but a man's had great health problems and is now struggling again. We'll see what magic Preller works, but obviously I I don't agree. There's a ton of people don't agree with the amount of money he spent, the contract length of extensions that he gave, the fact he's traded the farm system away twice. And outside of the three-month run a year ago and they beat the Dodgers, they haven't done bleep in nine years. Hate to be unfair to AJ because I like AJ, but the scoreboard does not lie. Yeah, well, some of those years he was, you know, tanking to get the draft picks. But I saw a graph on Twitter today that showed it ranked all the teams since 2009, looking at every trade and the F war, you know, to see the productivity of these players who made the best deals and the, and the worst deals. And the Padres are number two, the second best trading since 2009. So that's kind of how I see Preller. He's made some bad deals, but he's had way more good deals than bad deals. My golden retriever could sign all those players if he overpaid for every one of them. <laughs> so that's it's just a big, big issue in terms of his mode of business. I think he's got one more year. We'll see if this thing flips and if the underachievers come back and have the kind of statistical seasons that they should have. But as we said, if I'm counting, we got five holes on the pitching staff, or maybe it's seven, or maybe it's ten. Yeah, that could be a hell of a lot of them. Here's a Dodger comment here from Muller. He says, I think Kershaw will sign with the Dodgers at a very low cost, so he can rehab with them, and if he is ready to pitch, we'll come back for a few starts. I hope so. I mean, he he represents so many great things in a modern-day ball player, not just being a Hall of Fame pitcher, but what he and his wife have done in the community in terms of their foundations, both in Los Angeles and in Dallas, Fort Worth, I got so upset during that playoff game when he got booed. You're booing Clayton Kershaw. What the <laughs> hell is wrong with you for what he's represented uh, to this franchise? You know, it, it may well be the Dodgers sign him to a contract that's based on does does he get back on the mound in July? Is it? It's probably a twenty million dollar contract, or maybe it's ten million with incentives that could get to 20 if Clayton Kershaw becomes vintage Clayton Kershaw again. Or maybe they just have an agreement that he rehabs and he sits, and then they'll sign him to a back-end loaded deal once he's ready to pitch starting in July. It'd be fascinating to see how they handle this. Yeah, well, it's not just Kershaw, but all the pitchers on that staff— 
all have intriguing storylines. So, yeah, I think we're going to have Padres and Dodgers fighting for free agent pitchers. You can count on that. Move on here. Moving on. Let's go to Angel. And Angel says, hey, this is about the uh, the Rams. Three straight losses, including yesterday at Green Bay, where the Packers trying to give the game away. Is it safe to assume the Rams' playoff hope has been shot? Over uh, injuries. You know, they lost their right tackle, Rob Haverstein. Obviously, Matthew Stafford is out right now with the injury. Just not really competitive offensively. I don't think that Jordan Love is is going to be a big-time star in Green Bay yet. Uh, but it it's just a byproduct of this franchise in rebuild mode, has to be in rebuild mode. You look at the look on the face of Aaron Donald sitting on the bench in the fourth quarter of that game when they're getting blown out. What was it, 20-3 to at one point? It's been a long season for a veteran player that's making an enormous amount of money, but they are in just rebuild mode there. Yeah, I mean, and they didn't have their quarterback, you know, for that game. So, yeah, the Rams are done. I think they kind of surprised us in the early part of the season. Stockpiled a lot of draft picks. You know, Mm -hmm. they had, I think they had 12 draft picks this past season. So those guys are all in there and they're going to get, obviously, I think a fairly high draft pick with the exception of the decrepit Arizona Cardinals and the obviously collapsing New York Giants. Rams would probably maybe get the third or fourth pick in the draft. Wow. Let's we'll see what happens. Let's move on. we got so much to cover here. Let's go to Steve talking about Ducks. He says, hey, the Ducks look great. Wow. Maybe Verbeek knows more than I thought. Well, they lost for so many years. They stockpiled so many high picks. And these kids, I mean, they force-fed all these kids on the ice. They, I think they have four players that are 20 or younger on this roster right now. Nobody in the NHL has that many draft picks. Now, will it catch up to them? Maybe it will. Uh, there's no doubt that Leo Carlson's a really good player. He's got three goals in his first two weeks as an 18-year-old. And there's no doubt that this young defenseman, Yukov, uh, is is a tremendous offensive talent. they got to work on his what he does at the other end of the ice. So far, so good. But it is a long season. I do recall a couple times in the last couple of years, Dallas Akins, who I really liked as a coach, he had him in first place. And how did it work out by the time they got to the finish line of a 80-game schedule? Last place, and he got fired. Mm. So what you do early is great. Got to be able to continue to do it. Got to keep him on the ice. But uh, they got an awful lot of kids. Conversely, it's been, been tough down here because we expected a bunch of those kids <coughs> to be with the goals. And it's been very, very tough. Gulls won their first two games on the road in Ontario. I was really surprised and pleased. They have not won since. They have six losses in a row. Hmm. And they're finding it really hard to score goals. And it's not like the Ducks have taken any other forwards up. They've, this is their roster. So it's it's a growing period, I think, for the, the Gulls going forward. But this has been fascinating to see what the Ducks are doing. So... Give the Ducks a watch. Okay, well, let's get, we got an Aztec comment here, and this is from Robert. He says, since Aztec's men's basketball season is here, do you think the fans and the students will completely shut out Aztec football? Has not happened already? <laughs> yeah. They do homecoming, 14,343. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's terrible. It's sad. You know, and this is coming from somebody who broadcast Aztec football in the Marshall Falk era. That was the era. They were drawing forty-eight to 51,000 on Saturday nights, notably for the shootout games with Brigham Young. It was a big, big issue. And the, the, the amount of revenue they've lost because they can't sell these tickets, and now they've discounted the tickets for a second year in a row. 
the whole business plan has just blown up in their face. I, I hold the athletic department responsible. You're the one that priced this thing. Now, Brady Hoke is held responsible for what's happened on the football field. And then as the intangible of the NIL, they just can't compete. With apologies, San Diego State has become Wyoming and Colorado State, struggling on the field, and they don't have the money to make it work. They need somebody to pick up the Aztec flag, somebody from corporate San Diego, whether he's an Aztec alum or wants to do something for the university on behalf of football, to become a fundraiser to create money for the NIL so they can go compete uh, with players. They couldn't get any money in the transfer portal. You know, basketball suffered the same thing. Basketball's got a decent NIL package, but it's been hard on the Aztec basketball to go get immediate stars coming in the front door because they can't compete with what North Carolina and all these other yeah. big basketball schools are doing. San Diego State football is face down on the pavement because they just don't have the resources. Somebody in San Diego corporate, maybe it's Joseph Sy, there's got to be a godfather that will step forward and say, I believe in the program. Because historically, in recent decades, good coaches, a lot of really good kids, it's a fine academic institution. Yeah. They've done a great job upgrading facilities. They need a, a godfather to come in to help them on the business side to see if they can make something happen which would flip this program back into exciting the community. Because right now, no excitement at all. Well, they, they've fallen so fast, you know. It, just a few years ago, they were in the bowls every year. But, you know, the, the women's soccer team, the Wave, they sold out Snapdragon. So it can be done if they have a good product on the field. Concur with you wholeheartedly. Let's get oh, some social media. Oh, yeah, you think? Yeah, you think? You think All Raider right. Nation standing in line? <laughs> yeah, let's get some Raider Nation comments. There's some good ones in here. And this is from uh, G. Sensi, and, and he says, why are you addressing Raider Nation when we intimately know this team, their history, and all their issues? What are you doing here is not reporting. It's regurgitating all that has been said ad nauseum. Raider Nation is not a fan base. It's family. And thick or thin, we don't waver. <laughs> Something you certainly have no experience with in San Diego. And who the F are you to say that anyone is drunk all the time, let alone one of the largest and most loyal fan bases in sports? By the look of you... You haven't missed a day of drinking in years. <laughs> That's the best you can bring. <laughs> Scoreboard does not lie. Hey, talk show host, I am not the one that is 119 and 211. I've had more than two winning seasons in 23 years doing what I do with the content that I do. I'm just curious, Raider Nation, aside from putting your face paint on and your costume and getting drunk— how come you don't hold Mark Davis and even back farther, the Al Davis regime, accountable for what they've given you over the last 23 years? What am I missing in that conversation? Yeah, I, well, it just seems like Al Davis is sort of like a god. You know, he's a, well, he, he was back in yeah. the day, but that was back in the day. Yeah, but he still carried that reputation. And Mark Davis is like, you know, the son and 
I think they just kind of give him some of that slack. But yeah, I mean, if I'm paying money to go see the Raiders, I want to see him win. And like they they won last week, so let's see if they keep it going. Got one more Raider Nation comment go here ahead. for you because they were just piling on in Instagram. This is from uh, I'm I'm cool with it. Uh, LOL. Um, I'm a big uh, I'm big fan of your content, but this is the worst take I've ever heard from you, sir. With all respect, not all the Raider fans are the same. You could say whatever you want about Mark Davis, but at least he had uh, cojones to let uh, go of sorry uh, Josh McDaniels, while your team, the Chargers, can't let go of their head coach Staley because, of course, he don't got money uh, like that. Shaking my head, I'm really disappointed in you, sir. You can be disappointed, but thanks for watching and participating. So Mark Davis has got cojones to keep making stupid moves. You understand how many mistakes he's made since 2011, 2013? I mean, it is absolutely stunning. And you're signing the memo that all is okay. Hey, if you got that kind of money to burn to go support a team that's almost 100 games under 500. With Mark and Al, that's okay. But you got money to burn, send it to me. Because John and I, we'll be glad to go drink beer on your tab. Funny story. We'll wrap it up with this. As a talk show host on 690 and 1090 and then being the longtime popular voice of the Chargers, I got into it with Raider fans all the time. You know, my favorite phrase was Raider Nation out of jail on bail call now or Raider Nation uh, in a stolen car with a stolen car phone. Your line is open. Here's the best one. So we're up in L.A. This was the year the Chargers made the run to go to the Super Bowl. And that was in the old L.A. Coliseum, big press box, but it was right above the seats. So we're doing a game at halftime. Chargers are blowing the Raiders out. I think Jeff Hostetler had thrown three interceptions in the first half. We were up like 21 nothing. The fans were, they were drunk and they were booing. <laughs> so we're getting towards halftime. We get to the two-minute break. And so we go to commercial on the network. And I'm looking down and there's this Raider fan stumbling up the stairwell towards us. And I, I assumed he was coming right towards us. And I'm sure he's going to say something to me because I'm the talk show host that says something to them every day at 4 o'clock for the best 15 minutes in radio. <laughs> so I turned to my broadcast partner, Jim Laslovic, and I said, what is that smell? And Jim turns to Pat Curran. Pat Curran says, that's weed. <laughs> I said, well, it's not hamburgers they're cooking. So anyways, Raider fan gets to the top step <laughs> seats, looks right into the radio booth, Opens his jacket, pulls out a bunch of uh, marijuana joints. Right on. <laughs> offered it to us. You guys, where? You light up here. Halftime. You got time. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Other thing, we go to the stadium really early to uh, set up for the broadcast because we did the nine-hour game day show. So it's like 10 a.m., and we park in the media parking lot, and we have a long walk to to get to the Coliseum. There's Raider fans partying by the by the entry tunnel. Mm-hmm. Raider fans come running up. He knew who I was. Hacksaw, listen to your show. So he had uh, a fifth of Jack Daniels. He had shot glasses. <laughs> he said, "Hey, Laz and Pat, like you guys too. You want to have a couple shots?" I said, "10 a.m. in the morning. Nah, I think I'll pass. But thank you." Thanks for listening. And the third funny story was, my favorite phrase was, 
show me your lightning bolt. So we're we're coming out of the game one time. This was, I think, in Oakland of the Coliseum, towards the parking lot, lugging all this heavy radio equipment. Some guy across the way screams at me and says, Hacksaw, show me your lightning bolt. And I felt like saying, hey, Raider Nation, show me your rap sheet. But I elected <laughs> not to do that because I didn't want to get shot in the parking lot of the Oakland Coliseum. So. Well, you know, those Raider fans, they know how to party, man. I mean, they're they're bringing the ganja, they're bringing the, the whiskey, they're, and they're friendly to the Charger broadcast team. So I, I like that. That's a good story. It was a good exchange of verbal gunfire. <laughs> hey, listen, we hope you have enjoyed our bonus Monday podcast. Absolute ton of topics on the table. We urge you to subscribe to what we're doing. Check my website. We're doing something special there on the website. We want you to register to become part of our team. We've got a bunch of announcements that we're going to make in the next month or so as we go towards 2024. And tell a friend, share, Give us a thumbs up. We'll take five-star ratings, even from the Raider Nation. John, have yourself a great day. We'll talk to you come Thursday. Chargers, Jets, and then Fullerton, San Diego State. Give me a good night. Your night is full. And thanks again to Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Stores, our lead sponsor. Thanks for being with us. Hope you enjoyed everything. We'll see you come Thursday on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com. 